All right. I believe we are live now. And so I want to say welcome to everyone who's here with us this morning and to everyone at home who's online. Uh, looking forward to a great time of worship with you today. We are still letting a few people come in and uh, get a spot. And so we are going to start in about 30 seconds. So if you're at home uh, and you need to get a cup of coffee or whatever you want, please do so right now. We are going to start in about 30 seconds. Okay, well, I think we got everybody kind of spaced out appropriately. You're sitting by family groups. You, uh, you have your masks. Really appreciate everyone uh, abiding by the, the distancing rules. Of course, when service is over, please make sure you keep your mask on while you're fellowshipping. And if you don't mind, just help us out by putting the chair back in the room uh, where you got it. But other than that, it is great to see everyone this morning. I want to welcome everyone at home as well. Welcome to See Me Church. I'm Joe Collins, and our mission here is to love God and neighbor one household at a time. We are a group of ordinary people who believe in the extraordinary message of Jesus Christ. So no matter who you are or what your story, we're glad you're here. So last week we heard from my good friend Ron Hammer. He's the lead evangelist of the Santa Clarita Church of Christ. And he did a great job reminding us of the importance of our relationships within the church. Today I'm going to go back to our series called One on One with Jesus. And we're going to take a look at an interaction that occurred between Jesus and the high priest. At the time, as always, the goal is to draw out something relevant to our faith and life for today. So my kids uh, are into anime. I don't know who here is into anime. I can't say I'm totally into anime, but I do watch a little bit with my kids. And my daughter especially loves this one particular anime called Demon Slayer. And I got to say, it's a really cool show. And what's, what, what makes it really cool is... Uh, there are these demons in the world, and there are these special uh, characters who their job is to slay the demons because the demons do a lot of horrible things. But what's interesting in the show is when they do uh, slay a demon, you get a, a moment of a backstory about the demon when he was a human before he became a demon and what his life was like. And it gives you a little bit of information as to why he became the kind of demon that he became. Today, I want to look at a one-on-one -on -one between Jesus and the high priest of Israel. And I don't only want to examine their interaction and the dialogue that they had, but I also want to talk about the backstory. Because there's so much more to learn when we know the backstory. And it's so much more relevant to our faith and life today. So I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to get started. Father, thank you so much for this time to be together Thank you for being able to meet like this in person, outdoors. At least we get to see and fellowship each other. Thank you so much for the opportunity to meet in the home via online so that we can still be together as one large church family. It is such a blessing, God, to live in the time that we live with the technology. God, I pray that you're with us this morning. Speak to us through your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So with that, we're going to turn to John chapter 18. And we're going to start in verse 19. 
Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I had said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So the backstory leading up to this one-on-one -on -one between Jesus and the high priest is that for the past several years, about three or so, Jesus, just like John the Baptist before him, had been preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness. And just like John the Baptist, Jesus found himself in conflict with the religious leadership in Jerusalem. Now, let me give you a little background or to review from our last one-on-one -on -one series with John the Baptist. Baptism for repentance was an acceptable practice in Judaism at the time. But baptism for forgiveness was not, except in the case of the Day of Atonement when the high priest would offer sacrifices and then be baptized on behalf of all the people for the previous year's sins. Now, since John the Baptist had been executed by Herod for an unrelated issue, he was no longer a concern to the religious authorities. But Jesus was. Not only was Jesus's message of baptism for, of repentance for forgiveness controversial, but he was also uh, concerning to them because of the miracles he was performing. In fact, not long before this encounter with the high priest that we just read about, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Now that event, like none other, led to a meteoric rise in Jesus's popularity in and around the city of Jerusalem and the, and the area or the, the, the region known as Judea. It also led to the widespread belief that he just might be the Messiah, which resulted in his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. That's why it happened. When word got out what Jesus had done to Lazarus, people wanted to see him. When they heard he was coming, they came out by the thousands, lined the streets, and celebrated as he entered the city, calling him Savior, singing Hosanna to God in the highest. Now, all that had happened just a few days before the high priest and the religious authorities in Jerusalem had secretly had Jesus arrested. Now, if Jesus or if John the Baptist was the Dr. J of his time, you guys that know basketball and go back a ways, Dr. J was known for changing basketball. He was he ushered in a whole new era. What he could do was amazing. If John the Baptist was like Dr. J, then Jesus was Michael Jordan. He was the GOAT. He was the greatest of all time. I mean, he took that message to a whole nother place. Which is why the religious leaders in Jerusalem wanted him and Lazarus, for that matter, dead. Because they couldn't have such an influential person like Jesus and his most compelling miracle, Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, running around spreading heresy and threatening the power and prestige of the high priest or even the status quo that was common at the time in Israel. So this group of men decided to arrest, decided to kill both of them. And the first one they were able to arrest was Jesus. 
And so that's the background leading up to this interaction. So in verse 18, he gets arrested. And then in verse 19, where we started reading, he's brought into the high, piece, high priest's house for trial. And while there, he's questioned by someone named Annas. Then he sent to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, at first reading of this one-on-one between Jesus and the high priest, it seems pretty straightforward. Jesus' first, uh, 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 but, uh, sorry, it's pretty straightforward. But as with almost everything we read in the Bible, there's always a backstory. If we take a second reading of this passage, we're going to find out that before meeting the high priest Caiaphas, Jesus also, Jesus meets this guy named Annas, who in verse 22 is also called the high priest which means that there were two different high priests at this time in Israel. It also means that we're going to look at two different one-on-ones in today's lesson. And we're going to start with looking at Annas, the first and perhaps most influential of the two high priests. So let's go back and we're going to reread, if you didn't follow along the first time, John 18, verses 19 to 24. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So I don't know if you caught it there, but in verse 22, they slap Jesus for what they think uh, is speaking disrespectfully to who they called the high priest. That happened to be Annas. And then at the end of the, the section there in, in, in verse 24, it says, then they sent him to the high priest Caiaphas. So clearly in this passage, there were two guys recognized as high priests. And like I said, Annas is the one I want to talk about first, because there's always a backstory. So Annas served as high priest from 6 AD to 15 AD, or about 15 years before his encounter with Jesus. He was deposed by Rome for, quote, imposing and executing capital sentences which had been forbidden by the imperial government. Apparently, Annas had a habit of opposing Roman authority, especially when it came to executing criminals without their consent. Maybe that's why... Annas was real popular among the Israelites. They kind of liked his rebellious posture towards Rome. Maybe they considered him the high priest, even though he had been deposed, because to them, the high priest's appointment was a lifetime appointment. Either way, Annas held considerable power over the office of high priest. As a matter of fact, five of his own sons succeeded him as as high priest, including Caiaphas, who happened to be his son-in-law and the current high priest. As a matter of fact, Annas would remain influential for almost 30 years after this encounter, all the way until about 66 AD when he was finally assassinated by his own people for, of all things, collaborating with the Romans. Now, I say all of this to, to, to explain to you why, before taking Jesus to the current sitting high priest, Caiaphas, they first brought him to the recognized or behind-the-scenes high priest, Annas. And why Annas wanted to know the specifics of what Jesus was teaching and the, and, and the individual names 
of his most influential followers. You see, Annas wanted to know the nature and extent of the threat Jesus posed to his own power and prestige, not to mention the status quo in Israel at the time. You know, what's really interesting is we keep pulling back the layers. As we dig even deeper into this passage, we find out that Jesus may have actually already spoken to this, to this fear, in a parable that he told not long before he was arrested and brought to Annas and Caiaphas. And so now what I want to do is I want to go back and look at that parable because I think you're going to learn something interesting. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who had lived in, each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered in sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for the scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried to the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried. And he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, I ha have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he's here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. So as I said, this was just a few months before Jesus' meeting with Annas and later Caiaphas. As Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for the final time, he tells this parable about an unknown rich man, unknown rich man, and beggar named Lazarus. Now I put unknown in quotes because as we'll see, the identity of the rich man may not be as mysterious as you might think. In fact, as I have dug into this passage deeper and deeper, I'm starting to believe that Jesus' use of this parable was a not-so-veiled critique of Annas and Caiaphas, their leadership, and the status quo that was in Israel at the time. But we'll get into that in a minute. So as the parable goes, the rich man and Lazarus both die and they find themselves in the afterlife where Lazarus is comforted by Abraham's side and the rich man is in agony and separated from Abraham. Seeking even the smallest bit of relief, the rich man asks for just a drop of water to be placed on his tongue. Unfortunately, there was nothing Lazarus or even Abraham could do for him. Which brings me to a very important truth. Regardless of who Jesus had in mind when he told this parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the judgment of God and subsequent afterlife are real. And as a minister of the gospel, it is my first and my highest priority to remind you like Jesus did throughout his time on earth to repent of your sin and to be baptized for forgiveness because there's nothing more important in this life than making the right choice about where you're going to spend the afterlife we're going to keep reading the parable verse 27 
Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they won't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned him. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham. But if someone is sent to them from the dead, they will repent of their sin and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Realizing that there was nothing that he could do for himself, the rich man asked Abraham to send Lazarus, to raise Lazarus from the dead, back to his father and five brothers and warn them about this place of torment, to warn them about the coming judgment in the afterlife. Abraham's answer was simple. Hey, they've got the law of the Moses. They've got the prophets. In other words, they've got the Bible. But the rich man, knowing his family, disagreed. And he suggests that they needed more than just the Bible to get things right. Abraham replies in verse 31, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Now, the description of this rich man dressed in purple and fine linen, who lived in luxury every day, who had five brothers, is eerily similar to Caiaphas, who was Annas's son-in-law, who as Annas's son-in-law was a part of a well-to-do family, had five brothers-in-law, and as high priest wore a garment of linen dyed purple. Not to mention that the beggar's name just happened to be Lazarus. And as I said earlier, Annas and Caiaphas were in on the plot to kill not only Jesus, but also Lazarus. So I think it's not a coincidence that Jesus chose the name of the poor beggar, Lazarus. Now, I can't say for sure, but it seems to me that all of this detail was a not-so-veiled description of Caiaphas. I think if we were there at the time and we heard the parable, we might have imagined the high priest when Jesus described this parable. Now, if that's true, that means that the father in the parable is Annas. And he was the head of a household of some very stubborn people who were more concerned about the status quo and maintaining their power and their prestige than they were about co the coming judgment of God. Again, I don't know if Jesus had them in mind on purpose, but what I do know is that anyone who's trying to gain or maintain power, prestige in this life is in effect keeping the status quo. And anyone who does not depend on the word of God as the best source of truth in their world today is in danger of the same fate as the rich man. Here's the point. Before and after you fill yourself with anything else, fill yourself with the word of God before and after. You know, in these times, COVID, the racial injustices, the political upheaval that we're experiencing, a verse a day is not going to cut it. And let me speak to the church for a minute about the importance of God's word in our lives. Without it, we are rudderless. We are subject to the winds and the waves and to the times that we live in. God's word is our rudder. It's our anchor. It's what helps us stay the course. And I cannot stress enough 
to the church here and online. The importance of filling yourself before and after you fill yourself with anything else, fill yourself with God's word before and after. Now let's turn to Matthew chapter 26, because now we're going to talk about the second one-on-one between Jesus and a high priest. In verse 59, Matthew 26, it says, Inside, the leading priests and the entire council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus so they could put him to death. But even though they found many who agreed to give false witness, they could not use anyone's testimony. Finally, two men came forward who declared, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. So after the meeting with Annas, the first high priest, Jesus is then taken across the, either down the hall or across the courtyard of the high priest's palace to meet Caiaphas, the other high priest. Now, it was probably in a much larger room. And gathered in that room were many of the Sanhedrin, or the members of the Jewish high council. These would have been very influential men in Israel at the time. And you can think of them as their version of the Supreme Court, although there were 70 of them. Now, not all of them were present, but the ones who were the most concerned and threatened by Jesus's message and his followers were. And while they were there, many false accusations were being made against Jesus. Now, I don't want you to make the mistake of thinking that what was happening here is they were trying to fabricate false evidence against Jesus. Matthew's use of the word lie was just his way of letting us know what he thought about their testimony. What was really going on is they were just looking for validation. So any testimony, anyone who came in with a critique or a condemnation of Jesus, it was just accepted uncritically without any debate. You know, after George Floyd's death, during the few days of rioting that followed, I was driving home and I saw two African-American men on a sidewalk on the corner at an intersection, I had stopped at a light, and they were graffitiing on a wall. Now, a truck had pulled over next to them, and words were being exchanged between them and the, whoever was in the truck. And all I kept thinking was, oh, no, something's going to happen. I don't know what, but I was, I was worried. And as I looked around, I noticed that there was graffiti all around, and the graffiti was pretty incendiary. It was pretty aggressive. So I sat there wondering what was going to happen. Eventually, the light changed. The car took off, the truck took off, and as I began rolling forward to go through the intersection, I turned over, and the two men that were on the corner were not graffitiing, they were covering the graffiti. They were painting over it. And the words that were being exchanged between them and the person in the truck were actually words of, hey, thank you, and and that kind of thing. And it it was just a weird interaction, because had I not been able to drive through the intersection and see what they were doing, I would have left with a completely different understanding of that encounter. You know, I'm reminded of the saying, the first to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examination begins. In these very polarized times, there's one way that we can bring some balance in our relationships. And that's to listen to each other. To listen to all sides. To seek to understand without passing judgment. We've got to learn to open ourselves up, question our assumptions, be open-minded to other 
perspectives. That's not what happened to Jesus. When he was in this trial in the high priest's courtyard there or in the, in the room, they were saying anything, anything negative about him was just accepted uncritically. And that's what happens when we get myopic. We get too focused on, on our perspective. I want to challenge us as a church to be very open-minded, to listen to each other, to not judge, to seek to understand. Verse 62, then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you're the Messiah, the son of God. Jesus replied, you've said it. And in the future, you will see the son of man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, blasphemy. Why do we need other witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. So finally, the high priest, this time it's Caiaphas, asked Jesus, gets his opportunity to interview Jesus. And he begins asking him various questions. And interestingly enough, Jesus just stays there silent. He doesn't say anything to Caiaphas. You know, I can't help but think that in some way, uh, Jesus was kind of snubbing his nose at Caiaphas, right? When he met with Annas, who most people recognize as maybe the real high priest, Jesus answered his questions. But when he got to Caiaphas, he stayed silent. And I can't help but think that must have annoyed the tar out of Caiaphas. He must have felt like the puppet that maybe he really was. Then finally, Caiaphas says to Jesus, in the name of the living God, we might call this, we might say something like this, I order you under oath. So there came a point in time where Caiaphas in his position could demand an answer. He asked Jesus under oath to, to admit or deny if he was the Messiah. And Jesus doesn't deny. He says, it is as you say. And then for effect, he adds the line, and you'll see me, the son of man, returning on the clouds of heaven. And quite literally, at the end of his words, all hell broke loose, and they sentenced him to death. Now, I said for effect when Jesus gave his response, not because Jesus was being narcissistic, that he had some need to draw attention to himself, but I really believe Jesus wanted Caiaphas and everyone in that room to know the gravity of the decision that they were about to make that he really is the Messiah, and the decision that they were about to make to condemn him to death was going to seal their fate. So we're going to end where we began, with the judgment of God and the afterlife, the reality of a judgment with God and the afterlife. You know, as I said before, as a minister of the gospel, it is my first and my highest priority to remind you the church, the people in my oikos, my close friends, my family, my neighbors. Like Jesus did throughout his time on earth, to repent and be baptized in his name for the forgiveness of your sins. Unfortunately for Annas, Caiaphas, and the rest, they didn't listen. They ended up sentencing Jesus to death. And perhaps to this day, 
They are in agony, seeking just a drop of water to relieve their torment. But the thing I want to leave you with this morning is the thing that I, I took away from digging into this and getting into the backstory. And that is that there is nothing more important in this life than making the right choice about where you will spend the afterlife. For those of us who've made that choice, we've been baptized, our sins have been forgiven, then there's no better time than now to tell your family and your friends and your neighbors about Jesus. For those of you contemplating baptism, there's no better time than now to repent of your sin and to receive forgiveness. I want to thank you for joining us today. At this time, we're going to transition into the communion. At Simi Church, we believe the Bible is the best source of truth in our world today. In it, we learn that Jesus is Lord, that he lived a sinless life. He died on a cross and rose to life again. It's in this belief that we do everything. We are a member-supported fellowship by people like me. You can give today online at simi.church or by texting keyword Simi Church to 77977. At this time, we're going to take communion. Hopefully, you all have cups when you, when you pulled in. If you're at home, hopefully you have some grape juice and, and matzah ready. I'm going to pray for the bread and, and the cup. And then we're going to take, uh, then I'll give you time uh, to, to, to eat the bread and drink the cup. And during that time, we'll play some music. And I want to remind you that it's a time to remember the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for this time that we have to come together at home and here in person. I pray that your spirit fills us now. Help us to let the message of Jesus resonate in our hearts. Help us to connect now with his incredible sacrifice and gift of his life on the cross. Thank you for this time to remember him and what he did for us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Enjoy a time of meditation.
Amen. You know, if you're joining us at home and you didn't take communion, please do so later today. We want Simi Church to be your church, your family's church, and your neighbor's church. If you want to know more, connect with the person who told you about us or feel free to contact me directly through our website. Also, I want to remind all of our members to be engaging our worlds for Christ. You can do this by praying for, investing in, and inviting to church the people that you know. And don't forget to engage them as Jesus engaged you. Please remember to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Click subscribe on our YouTube channel at this time if you haven't already. At this time, we're going to be wrapping up our service. I want to say God bless, and we look forward to seeing you next Sunday. We will be back online for that service. Have a great week. You're dismissed.